Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. Praying and I was asking God. I'm looking forward to Bill and Kathy are coming next week, so really excited about them being here. Bill, uh, they're both such a joy and a, and a blessing to the church family. How many love Bill and Kathy? They're just, uh, they're great. So um, they're here. They're going to come. And they always have something, you know, they pray for our church. And it's what I love about connecting with them is they're, they're real people. We're, we're good friends with them as well. But they're the real deal. Like when we're going through hard times, they call and they're like, what's up? And they know something's up. And what can we pray for? It's not coming in and just doing the special evangelistic meeting every once in a while. It's we're doing life together. We're living for Jesus together. We're challenging one another in Jesus together. We're growing together in Jesus. Amen? That's what it's about. And so um, I was praying for this, uh, what to do for this Sunday, and it's never an issue of having something. It's what to have. When, you, when you're 57 years old and you've walked with Jesus for over 40 years, you got lots in you that he's put in you, and it's just pulling it out. And it's like, okay, what is it that you want? What is it that you, you are doing? Or what is it that you want to say? And he brought something back to me that um, came to me, uh, I think it was before COVID. Pre, everything is pre or post COVID, right? It's like COVID is this. It's just, it's pretty sad, but yeah. Um, but he said, you know, he said, our faith is going to become costly. And, he, and it was a very sobering, sobering, the way he said it to me. He said, your faith is going to become costly. And, and you know, we think, oh, I've counted the cost, I've counted the cost. Well, we've had a bit of a refresher living with Mustafa and uh, hearing about the, the persecuted church in in. Turkey, it's not Turkey. <laughs> I'm correcting them. It's Turkey. It's the proper way of saying their nation's name. So um, they don't like to be lumped in with the turkeys. So <laughs> it's Turkey. And um, so um, seeing the cost of what it cost him because he loved Jesus, he didn't kill anyone, he didn't do anything wrong. He just tried to honor the Lord and love Jesus. And it cost him his family. It cost him his nation. It cost him having to learn a new language and start all over again when he was successful over there. A man who never moved out of his city, never changed his barber. This isn't someone that wanted to go on an adventure and so we're like, well, why that cost? Well, that was the cost for him. But that cost is for all of us. And we seem to think, well, I skipped that one. And it's like, no, actually, it's, the cost is for all of us. Whether, whether it comes to us or not, it's the same price that has to be paid. And we, we, we look at it, and we're always looking at it from the side of Jesus. You know, Jesus paid it all, and, and, the, and this is, you know, it's free. And it, it is free. It's a free gift that he gave us. But how many know it wasn't free? It cost him everything. 
And the other side of it is, the Bible says that we've been bought with a price. And our life is what? It's not our own anymore. It's not our own. So then, it's about, okay, what is this then? And, and, and does it mean that, okay, if I have to lay my life down, what is it going to cost me in terms of what I thought it would be and what he thinks it's going to be? Right? How many are in some things you would never would have thunk it? It's like, you're in this and you're, you're, you're in a situation, you're like, I never ever would have thought I would have been here. I never ever thought this would have happened in my life. I never ever thought. Some, how, how many have experienced betrayals you never would have thought? You were like, this is like the deepest betrayal I've ever experienced. You know, there's all kinds of different things that we're, we encounter a, along this walk, and, and it all is part of the cost. And the, the one person that I admire, and this scripture is what came to me, um, David in the Bible. David was a man definitely that was not void of making mistakes. In this case here that we're going to look at, he had made, taken a census, and he had counted, and God had told him not to take a census. And he had counted all the people of Israel anyway. God was extremely mad, and a curse came upon the nation, and people started dying. And David knew, okay, this is bad. And so anyway, God basically said, you know, you're going to have to get this right. And so he gave him an opportunity to repent. And so so he said, you know, this is what you need to do. And it says here, it says, we're going to start here in 1 Chronicles 21. So if we can pull that up, and so Mustafa knows where this is. First Chronicles 21, 18 to 24, we're going to go to. But um, this account here is what David had to do. And so it says, Then the angel of the Lord told Gad, uh, told Gad to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranah the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him through Gad. Aranah, who was busy threshing at the wheat, uh, wheat at the time, turned and saw the angel there. His, his four sons who were with him ran away and hid. And, and when Aranah saw David approaching, he left the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. And David said to Aranah, let me bow, let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price. Then I will build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. And then this is what Aranah said. He said, take it, my Lord, king, and use it as you wish. I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering, and I will give it all to you. How many think that's a nice thing? Cheapy, cheapy. I always say, I like cheapy, cheapy, almost free. This is free. But it says here, but King David replied, no, I insist on buying it for full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing that have cost me nothing. And, you know, we live in a society where we can buy it now, pay later. 
We can write off of a lot of different things and pay. And you know what that mentality has done? It's crept into the church. And we think we're on easy street and we can just ride this thing out and someone else can pay the price for it. Come on, guys. Let's get honest. And, and I'll tell you, when, when we're, we're, we're living with, with Mustafa, so we're having lots of conversations, we're hearing stories, we're hearing different things, and there are things, it's like, I'm checking my heart. It's like, God, I want to count the cost for real. And there are some areas where I'm just scooting around. I'm just getting by. I'm just doing what it barely takes. Let's get honest, guys. Flesh is flesh. No one's full out, flat out, full throttle all the time. No one. Right? And, and, when, and if we can, we will let someone else count the cost for us. And all the boys said to their mama, Amen. <laughs> How many know boys like it when mama can do... <laughs> can we get honest here, people? Let's be honest. Because our faith has to cost us something. That's how it works. And we're going to look at this in Scripture because it's very clear in Scripture about how Jesus looks at this in terms of our faith and how it's connected to the cost. Because even our walk, the Bible says that you have to pick up your cross. It's a condition on your walk. You have to pick up your cross. What is your cross? Your, your cross is not my will, but your will be done. So it's a da- di- daily dying. I can't talk tonight. It's a daily, blah, 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 daily dying to yourself and a living for him. And so that means many times surrendering what I wanted to do today. And, and starting that day, and, and, and it goes completely topsy-turvy. And I'm the type of person, I like my ducks in a row. I like things organized. I like to have the day planned. (laughs) Yes. Those that know, I'm usually up at four in the morning. That's my quiet time with the Lord, and he gets me up, and I'm, I'm wide awake. So it's not a sacrifice for me, really, to have to do that. I'm just wide awake, but... It's just quiet time. But yeah, by the time Sheila gets up, I'm ready to make all these plans. She's like, give me my first cup of coffee. It's shot up. <laughs> she doesn't tell me that anymore because I know. I just sit there and think more. But, um, but it's, he, there's a cost. There is a constant cost. And, and I'm asking myself this. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm asking myself this. Is Jesus, am I, am I living a costly faith that you paid for? Am I living the life that you died for? Am I living it in a way that I am sacrificing my life for your glory? And you're not just the add-on or the tag-along in my life. Or the cliche, yeah, I'm a Christian. But li- literally people see it because... My faith is costly. They see it that, man, this guy, he means everything to him. He means everything. Why? Because it cost him. And there was a guy who came to Jesus. And, you know, I want us to look at this because there's a lot of times we can 
we, we do what it takes. But, and we do a lot of times just what we need to do. And we don't really want to do more. That's flesh. And this man came to Jesus, and he thought he was doing everything well, and he was wondering, okay, maybe there's something that needs to be done. So we're going to look at this in Mark. It's in Mark uh, um, 10, starting at verse 17. So as Jesus was, was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone and honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. So he did all the the do's. How many know that God sees beyond all of the good things that we do? He sees a heart. Amen? And I'm glad he sees a heart because he's always calling us to something more. He's never, ever content with you just coasting or us going into pilot mode where we're just kind of, we're living this thing out like we're just, we're zombies. It's like, no, that's not what the way we're to live. Every day in God should be fresh, should be new. The Bible says we're to pray that he gives us our daily bread. It's fresh bread for that day. Amen? And so it says here, he says, teacher, I've done all these things. I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love this. He looked at him with genuine love. Like not... Oh, yeah, but I know there's something else. Like, not looking at him in terms of seeing something bad in him, but he saw something that he lacked. And he felt genuine love. And it says, there's still one thing you haven't done. And he told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So, Jesus saw one thing. This man didn't have those possessions. Those possessions had him. We were talking about someone, um, about how they loved money. But the problem with loving money is money doesn't love you back. It actually doesn't. It destroys you. A love of money will destroy you because it doesn't love you back. It will keep taking from you. It'll keep taking from you. It'll instill fear in you. It'll instill control in you. It'll put all kinds of things. It gives you a lot that you don't want. It comes with the package. But we don't know this if we don't, are not sitting it, we're just chasing this empty dream. Money's not a bad thing, but it's a tool to be used in the hands of God. And whether I have a little or I have much, I can be content. Amen? That's the way we're supposed to be. And so, and then it says here, <clears throat> he doesn't end it here. So the man went away because he, he had many possessions. But it says, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, 
how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said, again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. So Jesus here, it's not bad enough that he's, you know, turned this one guy away. He's now taking it and he's saying, guys, look, it's very, very hard for you. If you've got lots of riches and you're trusting in those riches, it's going to be hard for you. Then he he keeps preaching on this, and it says here, the disciples were astounded. Then They said, then who in the world can be saved? How many know this isn't the greatest message Jesus preached right there? We're like, oh, Jesus is so sweet. No, Jesus is preaching a message, and they're literally saying, well, how can we even be saved then? This is hard. What you're telling us. It's like, who can be saved? Then he says here, they asked, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Amen? And we always use this, you know, for all kinds of different things, but it actually is used in in this context of actually the control of money. Because it literally takes the power of God to break that off of you. And it is impossible without God's power. Then Peter began to speak up. He says here, this is what I want us to see. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. We've given everything. And he said, yes, Jesus replied, and I love this. And he said, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the sake of the good news. Amen? So, Guys, we have to remember this every time that it's costly when we have to take a stand. And we think, oh, it's just taking a stand when, you know, we, we're not ashamed of the gospel when we tell people about Jesus. No, it's taking a stand for truth. It's taking a stand for righteousness when everyone else is saying contrary. It's taking a stand for Jesus' ways and Jesus' heart and situations where the world is calling good evil and evil good. And we have to declare, no, this is good. And standing with Jesus in those things. Because he says here, I assure you, you've not left all those things for my name's sake, and you will not receive now in return a hundred times. Amen? As many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. Why did he have to put that in there? (laughs) I'm like... No! (laughs) Scratch that. (laughs) You know why you get it with persecution? Because everyone's jealous you get it easy from God. There's just a a jealousy that comes. I mean, Saul had that with David. You see it all all through Scripture. There's just that comes with that. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So you're getting all of these things he's saying, he's promising. 
plus in the world to come eternal life. But it says here, but many, and this is what I want us to see, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Heaven has a different value system. The Bible says the servant of all is the greatest in the kingdom. We're going to be shocked at the behind-the-scenes people that were doing all kinds of things behind the scenes that we never even knew about that are going to be exalted and elevated and esteemed. Because it says here, those that we're not even considering, we're gonna, they're going to be... It's a whole different value system. You know, because Jesus even said, you get your praise here, that's what you get. And there's a lot of things. What did Jesus do for 30 years before he started his ministry? 30 years. That's a long preparation time. It's a lot of behind the scenes. For three years of power-packed punch. Amen? I'd rather live 33 years power-packed for God than 70 wasted years. Because I want it to live so that the life that I live, it cost me because it was for His glory. Because that, in the end, is what it has to all be about for every single one of us in every decision we make, whether it's going to prayer meeting, whether it's going to whatever we're doing, is Jesus, first of all, we have to ask ourselves, what is my faith costing me? What is it really costing me? Every day. What am I doing? And how am I living in a way that my faith is costing me? Because we, we coast. We can just coast. We can. And, and it's easy to do. And so I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us ask the probing question. And let's look at our life. Because when we just say, I'm just okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Well, nothing will change. But when you have to look at it, and for us, for us living with Mustafa, hearing the stories, hearing the cost, and walking through some of that, there's a price. There's a price that has to be paid. And each one of us, we, we, we have to live that. And the Bible makes it clear in, um, we're going to go to Romans 12. <clears throat> because anything that we do for God, it's, it's not only the fact that we do it, but it's how we do it. In fact, that's probably more important than even doing what we do. Because... If you, how many know if you do the right thing the wrong way, it becomes wrong? And, you, you know, well, I did the right thing, yeah, but you did it with a totally wrong heart, wrong attitude. It became wrong. It actually can sometimes be worse, right? But, so God is always looking at a heart that is looking at him 
in the right way and is doing it for the right reason. We're not fooling God. We're not, you know, pulling the wool over his eyes. I remember we were doing surveys in Newfoundland when we pastored in Newfoundland. And we would go door to door. This is how we did our, our witnessing over in Newfoundland. And it worked well in Newfoundland because people are friendly in Newfoundland. They open the door to you and they want to talk to you. Okay? Here it's like, slam, you know, not interested. Right? So we say, well, we're just taking a simple survey. We're a church. Do you mind if we ask you a few questions? Like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So one of the questions was, um, do you think church is boring? And they would be, get all quiet, I'm not, and I'd look at them, and I'm like, you realize that God already knows what you think. <laughs> like, it doesn't, doesn't really matter what you tell me, God already knows if you think it's boring or not. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were under such a, like, in their culture, it's such a religious mindset. If you smoke, you're going to hell. If you drink, you're going to, like, it, it's so, so, but people would just completely leave and abandon the church, but just, so when you just started asking those questions, it would get them thinking, and then they realized, okay, this is kind of silly. God does know, and then we would open conversation up, but, but a lot of times, we hide behind, oh, I did what I need to do. I did it. I did what I need to do. Forgetting that it's a passionate love relationship, that it actually is. When we are serving the Lord, it should be the life source of our life. It shouldn't be something that we're just doing because we're doing it. We can do anything else in life that way, but not honoring the Lord. And actually, when we live with, a, with an honor for him, it changes everything that we do with everything else. And it brings life to it. And it brings, and maybe that's what the church is missing. Is where we, we've got the CEO mentality. We've got all the works and all the different things. Like, I'll speak on behalf of the churches. One of the things I'm rallying, and I'm seeing it all across multiple churches, not just in our city, across North America. The lowest attended meeting is prayer meetings for pastors. Pastors, where to pray and be in the Word. That's our job. But we're content with what? Being a CEO, organizing, structuring things, but not being and having that life source of God literally living in us where we are connected to him through prayer, where there's an absolute dependency on him, where the, the things that we really need to get done are not going to get done if we're not a people that pray. Where there's that urgency and that's... So if it's not at the top, we wonder why it's not trickling down. And I'm not saying I'm there. I'm pointing the finger at me and saying, we need to raise this up. But I'm not ignoring it and saying it's okay. And we, each one of us, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Because in the end, only you answer the one that laid his life down for you. Only you have to look in his eyes the one who laid his entire life down to you, and you have to be able to look back 
and say, did I live a life that was worthy of the price you paid for me? Did I? Or did I get my eyes off you? And this is in Romans. It's a kind of a good reminder for us, and I want us to have this as a little bit of a checkout. He says here, and so, and so dear brothers and sisters, he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. So there's one reason we have to give our bodies to him because of all that he's done for us. Amen? Let them be what? A living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Amen? This, and I love this, this is truly the way to worship him. This is how we do it. So we ended a worship service here, but guess what? Your worship continues by the attitude that you have for your boss, by the attitude that you have for your spouse, your family, by the way we're looking at all these things in life and how we are conducting ourselves. We've got to ask ourselves these things because this is what God is looking at. He's looking at a holy sacrifice, and he says this is your reasonable service and another translation says it's your reasonable service so in other words he's not saying oh wow that would be so amazing if you could just live for me 24 7 it would be really good if you could just know he's like no that's actually reasonable i've given everything for you i lived full out for you i left nothing undone i paid to the fullest degree for you it's reasonable for you to do the same for me. Amen? And it says here, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Let's work our way up the ladder. Stomp, stomp, stomp on everyone on the way up. Let's think about me and get rid of everyone else and put everyone else behind me. Let's Go into all these different behaviors that have crept into the church. When one suffers, we're not all suffering. We're just glad it didn't happen to me. And there's all these different things that have crept in to our behavior. And he's saying, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, let God's word, let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing your stinking thinking. And it stinks. We got entitlement that comes. We get attitudes and we think, I deserve this. They didn't do this for me. They shouldn't do it for them. I know no one's had that. No one here. You all look way too nice. Comes out, and it's not worship. And he wants something more. So what do we do? What do we do when we're in that spot? We, we do one thing. We get honest with God. We take it to the cross. And we say, what are you worthy of? We lay that down and say, what my body is here what is my reasonable service? How do I live? 
to honor you. <clears throat> and each of us, he will give us a step. Because I can't tell you what that is in that situation. I, if I know the details and I have scripture, I may be able to give you some, some instruction. But each one of us have to make those choices every day. Whether we're going to listen to the swearing and the rude jokes. Whether we're going to look at things that really we know are against God. And against his ways. We, 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 every day we have to choose Every day, we, we can't copy the behavior of this world. We can't live for the now, which is what this world does constantly. Live today because you're going to die tomorrow. No, I don't die tomorrow. I actually live more when I die. I'm, I'm living in a greater reality when I die. So no, I'm not just living for now. In fact, I'm not living for now. I'm living for the world to come. I'm living for something bigger than this now. Because why? I'll tell you why. This world is not worth living for. And every day, it's less and less and less. Jesus is worth living for. And Jesus makes everything worth living for in this world. But apart from him, there isn't anything worth living for. It's cheap change. That you'll settle for if you do not make that exchange. I remember when I first went to Bible school when I was 18, I would go down to this spot and pray in the morning. And I was praying there one morning. And I was struggling with stuff because I, you know, it had cost me leaving my family, going to New York, being on my own for the first time. And just, it, I was feeling the cost, which we all do at different times and different seasons and I remember I was holding on to things and I was like you know I just why couldn't it be like this why you know how many when when you're in the midst of change you always look back and you're like why couldn't it have been right and you go to your default and and he and he showed me I was like this this skinny mangly little he gave me a vision an open vision and I saw myself and there was this skinny mangly person and I had this one little grain of rice and I, and I was, like, holding on to this thing. And he, told, he showed me, like, all that I was, like, saying, why couldn't it be, like, it, that was that one little grain of rice that I was holding on to. And he was, like, he was trying to get something more to me. And he, and he just said, just give it to me. And I remember I struggled, and I, but I finally gave it to him. But when I gave it to him, like, it just poured out. It was like everything that I needed and more just came and it was like life came into me but the struggle of just letting go of and it wasn't sin I was holding on to. It was things that I was familiar with. It was cheap change that was not enough. That he had way more for me. And he's like there's this exchange. Like, it's like this rich man that came to Jesus. He's like, I've got enough. I've got enough. I've even done all that. He wanted validation. But Jesus was like, no, no. There's actually more for you. And you think you're, you have these possessions, but they actually have you. And, and if you knew my word, you know that if I told you to give to the poor, that I repay you far more than you gave away like Sheila was talking about with her dad. That's what our father does. When we, when we take care of the poor, when we honor the foreigner, 
When we take care of the widow, guys, you want God's blessing in your life? Go do that. Go just do that. It'll cost you, but God will give it back to you far more. And so Jesus was trying to get something to this guy. He wasn't trying to take something from him. He was trying to get something to him. Something more. But he held on to that little grain. And I'll tell you, when I let go of that, boom, things just opened up and everything, it, 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 a new door opened up. But God needs us to, to let go, to count the cost. We have to count it. Not someone else do it for us. Like David had. He had someone pave the, the whole way. It's like, hey, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. It's like, no. That's not costing me anything. I'm not coasting through here. But it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. So not just an upgraded person, a new person. And that word actually means metamorpho. It means the process from a a caterpillar to a butterfly. Not a caterpillar with wings. A completely different creation. It says here, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. And this is, I'm going to end with this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. (laughs) Warning! (laughs) We all think we're better than we really are. (laughs) Oh, no, I I don't. You're one of those humble and proud of it once. No. (laughs) But we, we do. We think... A lot of times we, we, we are, we just, we can see, we can't see the blind side many times in our eyes. Jesus said, like, when you're picking out the fault in your brother, remember the log in your own eye. Like, we, we forget who we are. Thank God we have our spouses to remind us. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and Daniel's like, ouch. But, we have to be honest in our evaluation. And sometimes God gives us a child that's just like us to help. <laughs> you get to raise yourself and see, oh man, I am that bad. <laughs> but we need to be honest. It says here, don't think better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. So what we do in the comparison is we compare this, we compare this. It's like, no, God takes you where you're at. You've got to measure it with where you're at. Stop comparing yourself with everyone else. Because we can be far better than everyone when we compare, or we become far worse. It's this topsy-turvy. But he gives you a measure of faith. Be honest with where you're at. And what he's given you. And it says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Amen. We all belong to each other. And that's the good part. We're stuck with each other. Jenna's happy about that. (laughs) We're stuck with each other. And that's a good thing. 
it's a good thing. Because then we know we can walk through things together. It's when we've got this one. This is the other part of counting the cost that we've lost in North America because we live in a disposable society. When people are giving up on marriages and are not even marrying anymore and are just in disposable relationships, we can't think that that mentality is not affecting us. When people don't stay in a job very long or don't want to, like you used to be at a job and you could be at a job for 40 years and retire. They'd honor you and it would be, now they're like, okay, five years, we're bored of you, out of here, right? It's like people are changing occupations left, right, and center, changing spouses left, right, and center. Just, it's happening. We live in a disposable society and we have to live a costly faith that we stay faithful to, to the end. How do we do that? The only way we do it is by keeping our eyes on the one that paid the price in full, counted the cost, because in the end, he doesn't let us down. In the end, he never stops. In the end, he gives back regardless of what it costs us. In the end, he's the one that every time you have to sacrifice, every time you have to, yeah, but I've done this 20 times for them. Peter said that with, how many times do I have to forgive? 70? He thought he was being generous. And Jesus was like, try 70 times 7. That's where we're going to start. And he's like, man, didn't like that answer. Why? Because it's costly. It's costly. And it's like, this is what it costs us. And we think, wow, I'm really doing a good thing. No, it's reasonable. It's just reasonable. Wow, you know, I'm laying this so much down. No, you're just doing your reasonable service. All of us are. It's costing us. But let's count the cost. Amen? If I can have worship team up. We're going to... Um, I want to close with this one verse. This is my last closing promise. Mark 10. And I love this because this shows how precious the kingdom of God is when we find the kingdom of God. I know for me, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home where I really, I had a relationship with God, with Jesus growing up, but my place of complete surrender was at 17 when I counted the cost. Because before then, he was my Savior, but when he became my Lord, he asked for everything. And so for me, laying down, he asked for the one big thing in my life, which was my, my skating career, which I had given everything for. And there was no negotiation on that one for me. I'm not saying that for every athlete, but for me, he was like, no, that is what it's going to cost you. And I remember I went to my coach bawling my head off, telling her, I know Jesus told me to do this. And she's looking at me like, but I like, you know what? I figured I don't care because I'm doing it for him. She's got to understand this, whether she understands it or not I have to do this in my heart because I know I'm doing it for the right reason but I remember when I did that exchange 
it was like something opened up that I never had in my life with Jesus before. It was like floodgates opened. There was like a boldness and there was like a a life source that I had never experienced before. Why? Because I made room. I got rid of my life. And I let him rearrange his life in me. And I think what happens along the way is we start picking up things. We pick up things and we pick up things and we can pick up things and it's easy to do because we live in a consumer society where we can just pick, 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 pick up, pick up, pick up. And it's like we have to come back to that place of just, no, Jesus, it's about you. It's about looking at him. It's about just letting my life be worshipped to him. And great, these things are here, but do you want them, Jesus? Do you want them? Or do you, do you want me to have them? Because if you don't, I'm willing to lay it down. But just coming back to that fresh place of making room for him again. Amen? And it says here that the kingdom of God in Mark 10, 17. No, not Mark, sorry. Matthew 13. Sorry, guys. Um, 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And there's only one way you can get truly the lordship of Jesus in your life. You can't skirt around it and let someone else count the cost for you. You have to go and pay the price to buy that field. You find the treasure but it costs you. It's like this mannequin with this beautiful dress on it. And, or for me, it would be a suit. And, you know, I'm all excited because someone says it's mine, right? And dance around it. But then I see a little tag hanging there and that's the price tag. And, and that's what it's going to cost me. And it's like that, like this here. It's, they found the treasure, but they had to buy the field in order to get that treasure. There's no skirting around it. And so the cost is, is always something. The cost costs us daily. It's picking up our cross every day. It's not being greater than our teacher. If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute you and me. It's knowing that when we deal with abandonment, that he dealt with abandonment, our teacher did, right at his final hour and betrayal and all these different things that in all of those when we count that cost and we say Jesus this was for your name's sake and this was not in vain I thank you that you are my reward and you are my rewarder he is thank you for joining us today we pray that this message has truly blessed your life for more information go to bigchurch.cc